Welcome to another edition of the OUinsider.com podcast. I am joined by OUI staff writer Colin Kennedy. Colin, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm doing well, RJ. I think we have some things to talk about, don't we? Yeah, dude. Uh, it's like Commitment Friday, not just for Oklahoma, but like around the country. I like I counted like nine uh, between like two or I guess like 11 and like six o'clock is wild. And uh, no, yeah, no, seriously, because like Baylor picked up like two. Texas picked up one. Uh, Maryland picked up one. I forget. I'm missing somebody. But Oklahoma picked up two, right? Starting with Mario Williams, who uh, is a five-star according to everybody but 247 right now, but who is fast and growing and, and ascending up the charts. Uh, what was your take on that? Because it felt like I felt like it's a good win, but it's, it's real difficult to figure out whether or not he's going to be playing slot or outside. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would just say, man, it's pretty good to see the domino finally fall so we don't have to deal with some angry people on the board. But at the same time, this is a really big pickup for Oklahoma. Obviously, Mario Williams is an elite wide receiver out of the state of Florida. and I think getting him, I would project him as more of a slot guy because, in my opinion, I mean, you want that guy on slower cornerbacks, linebackers, DBs, whoever's lining up in front of them. So, you get a guy like that who has bona fide speed and agility, who can go up and get the football at a kind of underrated rate. I think it's a really nice pickup for Oklahoma. And at the same time, getting a guy in the state of Florida, it's also something I find incredibly important. I mean, you cannot overstate the impact of getting kids in recruiting zones of priority. And so as a result, I think Mario Williams coming into this class, I think Oklahoma's pretty happy about where they're sitting right now with that first commitment on offense of commitment Friday. And then I'm sure they were hoping to see some more dominance fall. And they did get one later in the afternoon. Right. Let's uh, talk about Clayton Smith, six foot four, 220 pounds out of Texarkana, Texas. Sorry. I got, I got a, I had an itch on my head and it distracted me and I needed to get it out. So yeah, that's, that's the pause there. Uh, so Clayton Smith, edge dude but tremendous athlete because as much as I know a lot of folks are excited about his pass rush ability and he has a relentless motor I was struck by just what kind of work he can do on the numbers man like when they need a bucket they line him up at wide receiver and he goes and gets it and I'm really interested to see what that athleticism looks like in Grinch's scheme yeah it's fascinating because Clayton Smith's current head coach was my former head coach at Marcus High School. And Jerry Stanford is someone who, if you have the athleticism to get a job done, he's going to capitalize on it. And I think that's what really helped Clayton Smith evolve as a prospect because, again, this guy lines up wide receiver, tight end. I mean, they put him all over the place. And at six foot four, two twenty, if a coach sees you on film jumping up and getting an end zone grab, yeah, that's going to raise some eyebrows. At the same time, I think you had a really good piece on OU Insider about how he just fits exactly into what Oklahoma is looking for at the edge position around that six foot four frame. He's going to be able to add a ton of weight, obviously, once he gets into the program. But I also wouldn't put it past him if he's able to play inside if he needed to down the road, barring some sort of injury. Because again, this guy can do whatever you want in a football field. He can do it at a high level. So Clayton Smith, again, not only is he a prospect in an area that you prioritize in the state of Texas, but he's also someone that fits exactly what you're looking for. That's what they found in both Mario Williams and Clayton Smith. And I think Smith is a guy that really helps you build towards what you're looking for. And I also got to give props while we're talking about him to Jamar Kane. I mean, 
it was often believed that, okay, this guy's probably leaning towards the Texas Longhorns. I mean, a lot of people had their crystal balls in for Texas, but once Kane got hired, I mean, he applied that pressure. Next thing you know, momentum flipped, and now the Sooners have a cornerstone piece for Speed D. Tip my cap to him, and I'm very excited to see what Clayton Smith can accomplish on a football field in that Crimson Cream uniform. Yeah, Jamar Kane's first commitment uh, since joining Oklahoma just, what, three months ago, two months ago? Three months ago, February, right? Uh, and yeah. It, and, well, and also add in there that this is the third straight head-to-head win Alex Grinch has seen against Texas. And as much as I really want to give Grinch credit for that, because uh, I think from an evaluation standpoint, he knows exactly what he wants. He's getting uh, his, his assistants, in particular Brian Odom, Ryan Manning, and now Jamar Cain have been fantastic at closing with many of these kids. Uh, I'm including Bryson Washington and uh, Josh Eaton as those last two to go head-to-head. And then, you know, if you really dig deep into it, his first commitment since joining Oklahoma was an outside linebacker, six foot four, David Uguegbu, who was a late addition to the 2019 class and played outstandingly, uh, particularly in the latter half of the season. I'm interested to see what else Jamar Kane does here. And I really want to see what this outside linebacker group looks like in 2020, precisely because he is here. Because uh, the thing that I know many folks are excited about is his ability as a recruiter. I want to see him as a position coach, knowing what I know about North Dakota State and how good they've been over the past 10 years. Yeah, obviously North Dakota State, his time there, they're a pretty good football team. And then when he was at Arizona State, he helped mold some really special players as well. I think Jamar Kane, that combination of not only a talented recruiter, the youth, the passion, the enthusiasm, but also... I think he's kind of a guy who understands what the new age edge player has to be. Because, again, he's a younger coach who's been around the game as it's transformed a little bit. Now he's able to help guys become exactly what you have to be if you're going to match up with some of these offenses. You're going to get after the quarterback, and a lot of those quarterbacks can move. So I think Jamar Kane's a fascinating individual. I think he's a guy who's absolutely going to provide a massive boost for the program. And you've already seen it pay off. I mean, getting a guy like Clayton Smith, top. 10 outside linebacker in the nation. I believe he's currently rated at number eight, and he's probably going to see a, a rankings boost when the top 247 is released or the rankings update is released on Wednesday. I mean, that's a big deal. So, again, Jamar Kane's going to be a guy that really makes a name for himself in the University of Oklahoma, and I will not be surprised if he moves on to even bigger opportunities maybe down the line. But for in the now, Jamar Kane, man, he is someone that a lot of Sooner fans should be very excited about as long as he's on the coaching staff. Uh, moving back to Mario Williams, I remember we were talking about him uh, maybe three, four months ago, right? And it was clear that Dennis Simmons had identified him as a kid that he really wanted, but it only seemed like in the last three, two, three months that we've really seen his recruiting like pick up tremendously as his ranking continued to go up. But he was a he's a top 100 kid that ended up being a top 40 kid in the 247 Sports Composite by the time he decides to make an announcement, and one of the things I thought was really interesting is the timing of all of this, right? Because I, we saw a ton of commitments on May 15th, and I wondered if if we were figuring into some sort of D-Day and what this might what this might mean for guys like Christian Leary and, and other wide receivers that Oklahoma was recruiting. Yeah, I mean, Christian Leary coming in on June 6th, obviously the, the hot dog emoji gang, whatever you want to call them. 
Leary and Williams and Caleb Williams have all been involved in that. So this is definitely something that you would think determines some sort of course of action. And then also over the weekend, I mean, Emeka Egbuka, the top wide receiver in the 2021 class, released this top four. And to some, I think it was maybe surprising to see Oklahoma inside that top four. But, I mean, look, the Sooners have a fighting chance. Obviously, Ohio State's the overwhelming favorite, but there are clearly some things happening behind the scenes, and Mario Williams figures to be a part of that. I think, again, Mario Williams is a kid who not only resides in the state of Florida, an area that you definitely want to recruit out of, but he's also a guy that a lot of people know, a lot of people respect, and a lot of people like to be around. You can never have enough of those guys in your recruiting class. And to get him at this stage, I think, really helps because there's still a ton of players, even though we've seen a lot more commitments at a pace that probably we aren't used to. There's still a lot of big names still available. So getting Mario into the fold, that helps Oklahoma continue to create momentum so it can be sure that this isn't just a one-time thing. You know what I'm saying? So Mario Williams provides a major boost, and I'm sure he's going to be able to help Cody Jackson, some of those other guys continue to build on this momentum and find more guys to join the class because right now the date of his commitment it looks like it's going to help pay off on some of those other prospects Oklahoma's in on we uh we both wrote about Emeka Egbuka uh and him releasing his top four on Friday that include Ohio State Clemson Washington and Oklahoma and yeah I think we're correct in saying there's a lot of people that were excited and either breathing a sigh of relief that Egbuka had included Oklahoma in this list and you know, I took the the angle of what do these programs offer him from a talent development standpoint. And Clemson can show DeAndre Hopkins over the past 10 years, can also show Sammy Watkins Jr. And uh, has been pretty good at putting wide receivers in the NFL like Mike Williams. Uh, you could say the same for Oklahoma, certainly, right? With Sterling Shepard, D.D. Westbrook, uh, Marquise Brown, C.D. Lamb here of late. Ohio State hasn't had a first-round draft selection at wide receiver since 2007. That'd be Anthony Gonzalez and Ted Ginn Jr. So it's been a while, but the NFL thinks very highly of Ohio State wide receivers. Michael Thomas going into the second round. Uh, add in Terry McLaurin. Add in Paris Campbell. Add in K.J. Hill from last year. It's just about where these guys are getting drafted. The one outlier I thought was Washington, who, who has had just two first-round selections in the history of the school at wide receiver, and one of them is John Ross here recently, but... It's a it's an interesting it's an interesting group from the standpoint of which situation benefits Egbuka the most. Now need to add in there. Uh, Oklahoma picked up the number one wide receiver in the 2019 class. Ohio State Ohio State picked up the number one receiver in the 2020 class. Uh, I think 91 percent of crystal ball show I'm going to Ohio State, so that would give them back to back. And if you are mm-hmm. buying into what's behind Justin Fields, it's a it's a good look. But that's the other part, right? Like, you know, Rattler's going to be draft eligible in your true freshman season. And if they can land a Caleb Williams, I think that helps them tremendously. And we all expect uh, that to be the case, taking a look at the crystal balls. But you, n- you never can tell with this stuff. So I know I thought I thought his list was interesting. And of course, we're talking about not just number one receiver, but a top eight player in the country. Yeah, obviously Ohio State is an intriguing program when it comes to offensive production. Uh, as you mentioned, the wide receiver position hasn't necessarily been one that they've created headline guys, but there have been dudes that get to the league. Obviously, you mentioned a ton of them. I, I also remember Noah Brown got signed to the Dallas Cowboys as an undrafted free agent. He wasn't terrible at Ohio State, but I think 
it's really the, the fascinating thing there for me is Brian Hartline, when he became the wide receivers coach at Ohio State, he was this excellent recruiter, and he still is to this day, but I feel like there's still something to be wanted from Hartline in terms of getting that number one wide receiver. So maybe the sales pitch is, hey, you, we have this outstanding young coach, but he's going to be able to help you reach the NFL because he played in the NFL previously. Mm-hmm. However, Dennis Simmons is obviously, in my opinion, the number one wide receiver coach in college football. And then Clemson, as you mentioned, they are another wide receiver factory, and they're going to have another one here pretty soon, Justin Ross. I, I think it, it will be fascinating to see what he really prioritizes moving forward. If he wants to win consistently, then Ohio State's probably the favorite, and that's why, again, that's probably the crystal ball favorite. But at the same time, if he wants to bet on making the league, Oklahoma, Clemson, those kind of schools really make a ton of sense for him. However, Ohio State still has to play another season of football, and they're figuring to go into this year with a ton of offensive weapons. But it's just fascinating to me because I think, like you mentioned, there are different opportunities at these different schools. You can either go to Ohio State, join a bona fide contender and keep winning, or you can go to Oklahoma, who's also a very bona fide contender, who also has that NFL production. Same thing for Clemson, of course. So I don't really sell myself on Washington, but again, Ibuka's got a lot of things to figure out. And if Caleb Williams, Matt Domino's fall, I, I know that those two have a relationship, and you would have to figure that if Oklahoma has yet another voice on its side, that makes this race a little bit more interesting than it is depicted in the 24-7 sports crystal ball. Yeah, I think it's really going to come down to that uh, because, I mean, it could be a remarkably awesome class if, uh, say, you get Williams, Kamara Wheaton, uh, LJ Johnson, and perhaps even an Egbuka, then you're, you're, you're really pushing. But also, I take a look at what is Justin Ross going to look like? What is Charleston Rambo going to look like? And what is Julian Fleming, uh, Mookie Cooper, and the like going to look like at Ohio State? And I think that's going to tell you a lot because if his commitment goes to December, like I, I think it will, he's going to look around and see who played best and who played well. And I got to say that if the true freshman in Fleming has the kind of year that he's capable of, you got to you gotta tip your hat to Ohio State. On the other hand, if Charleston Rambo can have the kind of year that Marquise Brown had in 2018 – or Westbrook had in 2016, that's going to be tremendously interesting too. And the the real question is, what's most important to you? Is it important to you to play for a national championship? Or uh, is it important to you to be developed? And if you know that you can do both, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, then Oklahoma is going to have to show you something that they haven't been able to show in the age of college football playoff, which is you know make the national championship game, let alone being a threat to win it in this really odd and challenging 2020 year, I think, for Oklahoma. I might be wrong, but, you know, I look at Rattler and I look at what happened to Hazelwood and I look at, at what Creed Humphrey was last year, which is regressed, and we need him to be a lot better. If if you expect him to to be the first-round selection that people thought he would be in 2019, let alone, or excuse me, yes, 2019, let alone in 2020. So that, that'll be interesting. Uh, I thought you had a really good piece on Two Sport U and Skip Johnson, and Oklahoma, and his recruiting of baseball prospects. Because let, let me, let me allow me to, to test my baseball knowledge here. He got a commitment from Ed Howard, right? Yes. Okay. And then he got a commitment from Bryce Clavon. Yes. 
And in between there, we're thinking that Mario Williams might entertain playing baseball. I I have been indicated that he will have the opportunity to play. Okay, so unpacking this right because like I think this is fascinating. We talked about it a couple of times, but it's still it's interesting because I mean, doggone it, baseball at, at Oklahoma was looking really good until this this pandemic, and Skip Johnson, if nothing else, is having fun. Or not, I should say having fun. We're having fun watching him recruit because, you know, you get a commitment from a 14-year-old and then you go look up the 14-year-old, me uh, genuflecting in your direction as, as the baseball uh, expert. But I saw 98th percentile in almost every category for this kid. And then that he's being invited to Georgia showcases as a middle schooler. So what's Skip Johnson's play here? Yeah, as I mentioned in that piece, Baseball recruiting is a completely different animal. I don't think the average sports fan understands just how weird it is because you have to identify kids as very young teenagers that show promise, recruit them, and then eventually get their commitment and maintain that commitment for as long as you possibly can. And, I mean, as Skip Johnson has indicated in the past, he said, look, recruiting these kids, I mean, you get to know them literally – as kids and you see them grow up and as a result you're able to sell them on some different things than maybe you would a 18 or 19 year old football prospect in that case that also applies to what we talk about in two sport you which means okay bryce clavon as you mentioned he's only 14 years old he's 2024 prospect why is he getting so much hype well as you're mentioning this guy is training with detroit tigers players he's also camping with some of the better high school prospects. I mean, he's clearly showing promise at this stage. And in order to get that kind of commitment, Oklahoma's going to say, look, you have the talent to play both. We want to offer you as a baseball guy right now. Mm-hmm. But once you have us on your side, it is a stronger sales pitch for us to go to Lincoln Riley and say, look, man, this guy can absolutely ball than it is without having our voice on your side of things. So Mario Williams probably going to be able to play baseball. You see what he did with Kyler Murray, who – Again, as I covered Kyler that first year of baseball, he was struggling. And then Skip Johnson and his crew molded him into a first-round top-10 MLB draft pick. Right now, that is not only one of the more intriguing offers in collegiate baseball recruiting, but it's also that much more boosted when you're able to say, not only can you come play college baseball for a rising program, but you could potentially play football for one of the best in collegiate sports. So, Clavon, again, 2024, it's a long ways to go, but Kim Johnson's recruiting out of his mind. I mean, Ed Howard, Bobby Witt Jr., Mario Williams, he definitely played in the factor in that commitment. And now when you talk about moving forward, what it could mean for not only OU baseball but for OU football, Skip Johnson's a definite asset if Oklahoma's trying to acquire any freak athlete that wants to play both sports. How much do you think the – MLB draft is going to help or hurt Oklahoma, uh, particularly like, I mean, going into the season, Kate Cavalli was, was, you know, the, the top prospect on the, on the team this year. Um, and this is just a weird year. And it seems like major league baseball is going to go through with this in, you know, quarantine conditions. Uh, is there anything to be gained from this draft for Oklahoma? Definitely some things to be gained and lost. I think with the shortened draft structure, only five rounds this time around as opposed to your usual 40. Cade hmm. Cavalli is probably going to get picked up. Ed Howard, the number one prospect in that recruiting class, who's also a top five player in the nation, he's probably getting picked up by an MLB team. But outside of that, I mean, 
you're talking about Oklahoma baseball potentially getting almost all of its recruits and almost all of its team back for the next season, which is a massive deal because, again, Oklahoma baseball was climbing towards a potential run towards Omaha. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you kind of balance the pros and cons here. Okay, how much does it mean to have a stack squad coming back that's almost complete? Add in a bunch of those recruits that you recruited. But then what's also to be lost when you see, okay, your number one recruit going to major leagues as they suffered last year with Bobby Witt Jr. being picked in the top two, and also your best pitcher slash maybe overall player going to the major leagues as well. It's, it's a little bit here and there, and I would also say when you don't have a 40-round draft, college baseball programs aren't able to sell that production. You know what I'm saying? Because typically you see guys like I remember before I arrived at OU as a student, in 2015, Oklahoma baseball had the most college baseball players selected in the NLB draft of about 11. And that was a definite recruiting pitch used by the coaching staff then. But now, I mean, you're talking about one guy off the roster. So, as you can see, there are some things to be gained and lost. But at the same time, if Skip Johnson's able to recruit the way he's currently recruiting, I would say that this could potentially be a much more positive thing for a team like Oklahoma than, say, some of those bigger names like a Florida or an LSU or a Vanderbilt. Hmm. I want to switch from that to a couple of recruits that we're watching for uh, well news, and one of those is Marcus Burris, uh, Pleasant Grove, Texarkana defensive end, and the other one being Kelvin Gilliam. Uh, Gilliam just picked up an offer from LSU, so I, I figure we'll take a look at that. But those are two, those are two end guys, uh, and I, I'm interested to get your take on this because there are two ends in the class. So what do you think is the play with uh, Marcus Burris and Kelvin Gilliam? Yeah, I would sell, first of all, Burris on the idea of playing inside. I've seen Burris play in person, and he is one of the more disruptive defensive tackles that actually gets on the field and dominates. Again, he's probably playing at a little bit of a lower level than some of the talent that needs to be facing him. But, I mean, Burris is a guy who's right now about 260-plus pounds. I would say you can definitely boost him up to 290 with a good frame and allow him to be sort of a Neville Gallum or a prototype. And then as far as Kelvin Gilliam, I think he's someone who can do it all. I mean, I've talked to the kid in the past. I think he's an outstanding individual, by the way, high character. So you go after those kind of recruits. But he's also talked to me about how versatile he is and how much he feels he can provide anything that's asked of him. And I think what's really interesting, I asked him about, okay, who do you compare your game to? And he said, Ronnie Perkins off the bat. Hmm. And I said, why Ronnie Perkins? And he said, Ronnie Perkins can rush the passer. He may be a little bit more of a shorter guy, but he can go after you. And he can also play wherever you want him to on the defensive line. And I think that's interesting because, okay, Perkins is usually that defensive end, but at the same time, Perkins, if he were asked to play on the interior side of things, and I think when he was being recruited, some people anticipated he'd see some snaps on the inside. I mean, this guy can do whatever is asked of him. So, Gilliam and Burris, in my opinion, you still try and get those commitments because there's the potential for them to play in the interior defensive line alongside some of those ends that have already committed. And then also, I mean, versatility and rotation, if Grinch is truly prioritizing the 22-man defense, then you go after as many defensive linemen as possible because, as we've seen, teams with deep defensive line rotations typically win football games. So that would be my observation on those two. I think Burris is obviously trending. I know Wilt Fong logs an OU crystal ball this morning. And then Gilliam is a guy who I would say is leaning OU's way. So if you're able to land those commitments 
with all these factors taken into consideration, I would still take those two into the class. Hmm. Last thing that I wanted to touch on was uh, Lincoln Riley did a press conference uh, of sorts last week, and there were a number of items that you can find on OUinsider.com. We also have the transcript of his Q&A up on OUinsider.com for our VIP members. But there was one bit that I thought was interesting, which is uh, update, which is none, on the suspensions of defensive lineman Ronnie Perkins, running back Ramondre Stevenson, and wide receiver Trajan Bridges. Uh, we the, the, the belief is that they center around marijuana and testing positive for that. But in this day and age where we just do not treat marijuana the way we did even 10 years ago, it'd be interesting to see how Oklahoma would press on this to the NCAA and be like, yo, really? Is this what we're suspending people for? If, in fact, that is the thing that they are suspended for. And his take was, look, the, the virus probably slowed down any process like this, so we're already up against it. But I thought him saying even these things about my deal is the welfare of the student-athlete and what best helps out as far as marijuana testing. We're operating in a different world than we were 10 or 15 years ago. So many things obvious around that with laws, availability, the percentage, perception of it, everything's changed. Uh, Oklahoma has the most dispensaries per state per capita in the entire country. And then the NFL's collective bargain agreement has allowed for basically no punishment for testing positive for marijuana, as uh, you also use it for, uh, among other things, mental health and uh, pain relief. So, uh, Colin, did you did you have an opinion about even Riley speaking on the subject? I, I was glad that he addressed it, and I, I appreciate how open he was about his take because, again, it's completely ridiculous that the NCAA has this prehistoric mindset towards marijuana. I mean, look, we all know the dangers of pain medication and what can be suffered as a result. And so marijuana, if it's a healthy alternative, which we have discovered, obviously that it is, why would you restrict players from using it? I mean, it isn't something that's detrimental to their health. So why is it the NCAA's business? Look, I mean, we can rant about this for literally hours because it's one of the most absurd things in the world of sports. As an absolute, absolute abomination, but of course we're dealing with the NCAA. At the same time, I'm glad that he not only voices concern over the restrictions regarding the drug, but he's also talking about the suspension because as the NCAA is faced with a situation where, okay, we're losing games on the schedule and things are being pushed back, well then what does that mean for these suspensions for these kids? I mean, are you going to push them back further into their seasons because at the end of the day, these kids deserve the opportunity to play, especially if they didn't do something completely criminal. And, and that's where my concern is as well. I mean, what happens if the NCAA and conferences and so on and so forth agree on eventually canceling non-conference opponents in matchups? I mean, does that mean that these kids lose X amount of games of their Big 12 conference season in a weird year where they're not going to have very many opportunities to play? I mean, that to me just doesn't seem just. I, I don't know. I Anyone that has an opinion on this obviously is very feverish about it, but also anyone who has any idea what's going to happen as a result of these suspensions doesn't really know. I think it's going to be fascinating to follow, but I'm glad that Riley took some time to say, look, we, ha we don't know what's going to happen. We hope that the NCAA isn't going to punish these kids more than they have to be punished because at the end of the day, it's kind of a silly punishment. So 
I hope that these guys have the opportunity to eventually sort this thing out and know exactly what their future holds. But for now, just one big question mark that doesn't need to hang over their heads. Right. And I would add here that any reduction in suspension or even, you know, outright cancellation of it would be tremendous for Oklahoma as the running back depth took a hit with Trey Sermon going into the grad transfer portal route to Ohio State. Uh, the wide receiver depth took a hit with Jaden Hazelwood blowing out his ACL. And we all know that Ronnie Perkins was perhaps the best uh, defensive lineman not named Neville Gallimore for Oklahoma last year, and you'd love to get him back. Uh, Colin, man, you're, you're money, dude. I appreciate this. Always fun, my man. Let me know when we want to talk again soon. Right on. Give Colin a follow on the Twitters, at CKennedy247. That's at CKennedy247. Please rate the podcast five stars. And if you have not considered subscribing to OUinsider.com, please do so. Uh, The VIP board stays popping with the latest news. And, uh, well, Brandon Drum does not really sleep. He just posts to that board. He eats and he reports. That's about it. Uh, uh, Yeah. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days.